Kings. So I invite you to check it out. Now, we just finished up uh, 2 Samuel. So as we look at 1 Kings, it's a continuation of the story of the life of David, really the end of the life of David and the beginning of the life of Solomon. And as we look, we'll see how the story of the man after God's own heart wraps up. Just a couple of, of, of notes of, of historical value. The book of Kings, First and Second Kings, tradition tells us was penned by Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah the prophet is the one who gives us uh, these histories. And as we look, we want to be reminded, the man after God's own heart, as we finish up, we remember back when he had his major fallout. Remember the whole deal with Bathsheba. And when he was being uh, confronted by Nathan the prophet, Nathan the prophet told him about another man who had stolen another man's ewe lamb. And David was so upset by the story about what this other man had done to a ewe lamb, stealing it from, a, from another man, that he said he will pay back four times what he stole. And basically what David, when David made that, that judgment, God held David to that judgment. He paid four times for what he stole. He stole the life of Uriah the Hittite. Four of David's sons die. We come to the fourth one tonight. His name is Adonijah. Adonijah is the next son in line to be king. You remember we've met some of the other ones. Amnon, remember Amnon, the first one? He, he raped his own sister. And his brother, Absalom, killed him. So Amnon dies. Then we see, uh, after Amnon, we see, uh, just prior to Amnon, actually the baby that Bathsheba and David had, the baby died. That's two. Then Absalom is killed by Joab. That's three. And then we come to Adonijah. Adonijah is the fourth one. His, the fourth son that's going to go uh, as a part of this, this judgment. But one of the things we also want to recognize in that, that all of those... With the, with the possible exception of the baby, were guilty men. They were guilty. Amnon was guilty. Absalom was guilty. Adonijah is guilty. The same rebellion that David had against the Lord earlier in his life came out in his kids. Now, this is what I want you to understand. There's nowhere in the Bible you're going to find generational curses taught. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet said, No more say that the father ate sour grapes and his son's teeth are set on edge. The point is, God says, every man is responsible for his own choices. But we as fathers, as men, as leaders of our family, provide an example to our children and they will follow in our footsteps. So that's what we see going on in the life of David. His kids learn from dad's example. It's not a generational curse. It was passed to the kids and they had no choice. They still had the ability to obey or disobey. They chose to disobey. They chose to, to harden their heart and to follow the example that had been laid out before them. And Adonijah is no different. We will be introduced to him and some of his scheming as we look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 1. So if you guys want to flip there with me, if you're already there, I'll catch up in just a second. It says, now David, in verse 1, now David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but they could not get him warm. David at this point in his life is about 70 years old. He's, he's at that area, and for whatever reason, whatever's ailing him, Keep in mind, it's not always the age. Sometimes it's the miles. And David's got a lot of miles. And so his body's breaking down. We're coming to the end of David's life. So he can't keep himself warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a, a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom that the lord the king may be warm. So the idea was they would go find a, a young woman and she would be 
companion of the king. She would be there to make sure he was, his needs were met. She'd take care of him until he died. When he was cold, she would lie next to him to make sure he was warm, transferring body heat. It was the way that they did things in, in Oriental culture. Uh, and so that was normal for their day. So that this person, this woman that we're going to see, Abishag, she's going to become a part of his harem. But David's never going to sleep with her. She's just there to serve and keep him warm until the day he, he passes, until the day he dies. So she's there in that place. Well, it says, So they sought a lovely young woman through all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Sunamite, and brought her to the king. Now the young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. So there's no sexual relationship going on. This is just, again, part of the culture. She becomes part of the harem, and she belongs to the king. All of the concubines that belong to the king would be passed down to the whoever is next. Not to be used, but to be cared for. They would be passed down to either Solomon or, uh, in this case it's going to be Solomon, whoever was next to be king. So she's going to be passed down as, as a part of uh, what the king possessed. Part of the king's possession. The point behind it is that she's going to be cared for for the rest of her life. One of the things that people neglect to consider in God's scheme, God's plan, any woman who ever lay with a man, she became the man's responsibility for life. In God's economy, there was no getting out of that. You were responsible forever. Today, in our world, there's a totally different view in regard to sexual relationships, and and so it becomes of little value. Nobody cares. But in God's economy, it was a very important decision. Such an important decision that, that should it be made, you were responsible forever to care for, to meet the needs of, of uh, that person. And so the same thing would be true of the king and his concubines in his harem. They're going to pass to the next king, and his responsibility is going to be able to make sure that they are taken care of. That all the days of their life, their needs are met. So, no different here for Abishag, but she's going to play into the story a little while later. So, keep in mind that that's important that we see her. Now, it goes on and says in verse 5, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. Adonijah, he's the next son in line. Now, if you remember, when we went through 2 Samuel, God had already said... Solomon is the next king. It is not up to man to presume anything. God never established that it had to pass to the oldest son. God said, this is the one. This is the one. A man who, whose heart and mind is toward me. This is the one I choose. Solomon is going to be the next king. Adonijah presumes that it should be him. Now, from that presumption, we understand a couple of things. One of the first things the Bible tells, he exalted himself. What's the problem with exalting ourselves? The Bible says if you exalt yourself, that God will humble you. That he will bring you down. The Bible teaches rather to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and let him raise you up. Jesus told the story like this. He said, when you come to a party, don't go sit in the best seat. In those days, in Oriental culture, there was an arrangement around the table. The most important person had a seat. The next, the next, the next, all the way down to the least important at the party. And so Jesus said, when you come to that party, don't assume that you are the guest of honor and take that seat. Because if you do, the man throwing the party may come to you and put you down. Rather, he says, take the least seat. So that the one who is called the party will lift you up, exalt you to a better place. The concept goes against our human nature. The concept is a concept that says, I'm going to look at others as better than myself. Now, there's, a, there's such a thing as false humility where we, where we try to do that. Oh, I'm no good. People who, often I, I have people tell me how they have no self-confidence they're struggling with their self-confidence oh i'm so lousy i'm no good that person is so focused on self that self is all they can talk about 
I don't care what words are coming out of your mouth. The actions behind what you're doing speak of the fact that your struggle is with pride, not with lack of self-confidence. In reality, the scripture says, just treat others as more important than yourself. All the time. That you're, you're humbling yourself and allowing God to exalt. God to lift up. Adonijah, he's going to take it upon himself. I should be the king. Now, he's learning from his brother Absalom, right? His brother Absalom did the exact same thing, didn't he? I'm going to be king. He's going to scheme and try to make it happen. Now, Adonijah's dad is just barely hanging on. He doesn't even come out of his room anymore. He lives in his room. They're just waiting for him to die so that there can be a king. So Adonijah begins to, to develop a plan. And he says, I'm going to be the king. I will be king. It's just exactly like the I wills you have in, in Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel uh, 28. They talk about the exaltation of a servant at one time in heaven. His name was Lucifer, Satan. I will make my throne above the Most High. I will exalt myself. The same exact words spoken by Adonijah here. I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. So Adonijah is making this big old parade. And he's just going to assume uh, the kingdom while his father's sick. And verse 6 tells us why Adonijah thinks he can do this. Verse 6 tells us, his father had not rebuked him at any time. Don't lose sight of that. David had a lot of strengths, but he had some weaknesses too. And while he was a man after God's own heart, one of his failures is in the concept of being a father to his children. Our kids don't need any more friends. They got lots of friends. Our kids need parents. Parents who set boundaries. Parents, fathers in this case, who rebuke their children when they're wrong. It's not pleasant. Nobody sits around and goes, oh, I can't hardly wait to do that. But nonetheless, the job has to be done. David was a busy man. He's king. He's fighting wars and going around the world and doing all the stuff that kings do. He had never one time rebuked his son Adonijah. Never. So Adonijah grew up without boundaries. So it's no wonder that he would lean toward rebellion. His father had not rebuked him at any time, saying, Why have you done so? Look at the next phrase. He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Remember the neat thing about Absalom and Absalom's sister? They're beautiful. And here Adonijah is the same way. He's a beautiful child. He's good looking. Charismatic. People want to follow him. One of the first things they say about a president, if you have an ugly, weird, strange-looking guy, he has a hard time becoming president. You got a good-looking guy who's got a smooth tongue, poof, you're president. Doesn't matter what he has to say or his policies, it matters how he looks. This was the same back then. Adonijah looked good. Sounded good. Looked like he had everything together. So it says in verse 7, So he conferred with, this is important, Joab, the son of Zariah, and Abiathar, the priests. And they followed and helped Adonijah. Now you'll remember, Abiathar is the priest. He went with David to the caves, man. He's been with David forever. Joab's been with David forever. Joab's a relative. Both of those guys line up against David and against what God wants to do. And they follow Adonijah. They follow Adonijah as he leads them in rebellion. And as a result, they're unbeknownst to themselves, one of them fulfilling a prophecy that God made. God said none of the sons of Eli would be high priests. That the line of Eli would stop. And Abiathar is the last of the line of Eli. The line of the priesthood goes through the line of Aaron, is now going to pass through Zadok. You'll notice that both of these guys, Joab and Abiathar, why did they rebel against David? Because both of them had been hurt by David, and both of them chose bitterness rather than getting better. Abiathar, his name is always going to be mentioned with Zadok. 
There were two high priests in that day. The tabernacle was in two places. And so they had two high priests. And at one time, Abiathar had been David's right-hand guy, the priest, the voice of God for David. He was telling him all about it. But then this fellow Zadok came along. And so as Zadok comes along, Zadok takes more and more the preeminence, the more important role, and Abiathar is passed over. And as a result, most people think he's struggling with bitterness. So when Adonai just says, I want to be king, Abiathar sides with him. He sides with him. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews to be careful about a root of bitterness. Because the root of bitterness doesn't poison your enemy. It poisons you. It poisons you against what God wants to do. It poisons you against what God wants to work in your life. The grace that God wants to move in your life. What does the Bible tell us and what do we do with it? What do we do when somebody has wronged us? We do what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 23. What did Jesus do when he was reviled? What did he do? He did not revile again. When he was beaten, he didn't threaten. What did he do? He committed himself to the hands of him who judges righteously. He committed himself to the hands of his father. What do we do when we're wrong? We commit ourselves to the hands of the father. And we say, you judge between me and them. But I'm not holding on to the bitterness. I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to move on and become better. And realize that whatever event occurred in my life, it occurred for a purpose to develop within me the character that I need to make me more of a man or woman of God. So I choose that viewpoint and I move forward. But Abiathar didn't do that. Joab, we know, didn't do that either. Joab was replaced two times. You guys remember when we went through 2 Samuel? Twice he was replaced. Abner and Amasa. And how did Joab get his position back? He killed them. He killed Abner and he killed Amasa. And everybody knows it. And everybody wonders, why, oh why, oh why did David not deal with him? He's a murderer. The Bible says if you're a murderer and you're not, you've not been convicted, you've not been dealt with, then the blood of those whom you killed stains the land. And God says the land is going to suffer as a result because you're not taking seriously the role of government to protect men. But David never did it. Why? Why did David never stand up against Joab? Well, think about it. Who did David use to kill Uriah the Hittite? He used Joab. You don't think Joab used that to his advantage? Uh, David, how are you going to judge me, man? You, I, I'm the one who killed Uriah for you. So David never brings that judgment against Joab in his reign. But Joab nonetheless knows David doesn't care about him, doesn't he? He's been replaced twice. He had to kill the guy to get his job back. So both of these guys, Joab and Abiathar, they choose because of the bitterness. Rather than repenting for the issues in their life or turning toward the Lord, they turn to their own designs, make their own plans, and go to battle against God's anointed. And all that plays into God's hands. And they will face, like every man, woman, and child, a day of reckoning. And the day of reckoning is coming. So Adonijah, he brings those embittered on his side. Look what it says in verse 8. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. He says, basically, all these guys who are the current high priests, the current head of the mighty men of David, nor the mighty men of David themselves, we talked about them before, these are the best of the best of David's army, they're all with David. Well, Adonijah doesn't even talk to them. He goes for those who are, he knows are against David already, those who are against him, and he begins to sow the seeds of discord. The Bible tells in Proverbs chapter 16 that there are six things that God hates, yea, seven are an abomination. And one of those is a man who sows discord among brethren. Dividing, remember this is 
brothers. This is family. The 12 tribes of Israel, who are they? They're brothers. They're cousins. They're, they're all part of the same family being divided by one man's ambition. What happens? Verse 9, And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted cattle by the stone of Zoheth, which is by Enrogal. He also invited all his brothers and the king's sons and all the men of Judah and the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benai the mighty or the mighty man or Solomon his brother. So he invited some and what's he do? He puts a spiritual spin on it. What's the spiritual spin? He goes and makes a sacrifice. Hey guys, I really care about the Lord and what the Lord's doing. Now never mind that my whole life is talking about rebellion. Let's go make a sacrifice. Let's go make a sacrifice. We know that you can make your outside of your life look like anything. Religion, the word religion means to bind up. To have a bunch of rules and concepts about how to live your life. And mankind loves religion. He loves rules. He loves to bind up himself or his brother with a, a set of of concepts of what to do. But God is looking for a relationship. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God says He expects one thing from you. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God. All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this one thing. To love God. To love Him. But here, hey, Adonijah is going to make it look so that all the people who are into religion say, hey, he's a religious guy. I, I've seen him at church. He, you know, he, he passed around the basket or he, he was at the door greeting or he was doing the thing. I mean, you could, you could make it anything you want to for today. He was making it all look good on the outside. But inside, Jesus, when he looked at the Pharisees, remember what he said to them? He said, you are whitewashed sepulchers. How? Full of what? Dead men's bones. You can... Purdy up the outside. But the inside's still about rebellion. But if the inside is about loving God, what's the outside look like? And it's not even all that much work to make it look like that. If you love somebody, there are things that change in your life. If you love God, there are things that change in your life. It's just natural. Nobody had to give you a list, don't do this, don't do this, don't do When you had a child and you first held your baby and looked in your baby's eyes, you were at that moment when you looked into that child's eyes willing to die for a person you don't even know. Hasn't done anything to deserve anything, they're just there and you're, you have this love you can't even begin to imagine. That's the same way. We love God. That's what changes in our heart. That's the thing that God's calling for from his people. Adonijah, he's just making it look good on the outside. So, verse 11, Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and said, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggath, become king? And David, our Lord, doesn't know it. Nathan says, Hey, there's a scheme going on. Come, please, let me know, or let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. If Adonijah becomes king, what's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to kill everybody who was supposed to be king. How, that, that's history, right? Everybody knows that? When a rival became king, he wipes out his rivals. That's what he does. At least in the world. Not necessarily when God raises up a king. But when it happens, that's what... So this is what Nathan the prophet's saying. Hey, we're going to save your life and Solomon's life. We've got to tell David what's going on. Verse 13, go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my Lord King, swear to your maid servant, saying, Assuredly, your son will sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? And while you are still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. This is not a scheme. This is how God's word is supposed to be accomplished. How is it supposed to be accomplished? By the by the mouth of two or three witnesses something is established the bible says do not receive an accusation against an elder or a person in responsibility from the mouth of one person that's what the bible says 
The Bible says if you make an accusation, it should be by two or three. What's that word? Witnesses. Is that two or three people who heard? No, it's two or three people who know. Who know, who have knowledge of what's taken place. And then those things are dealt with. So here, the prophet says, you go talk to David, and while you're talking to David, then I'll come and talk to him. So he sees that there's two of us that see and know that this thing is happening. So Bathsheba went into the chamber of the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite uh, was serving the king. Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. And the king says, what's your wish? So she said to him, my lord, you swore by the lord your god... To your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son will reign after me, and he will sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king. And now, my lord the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance. He's invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon your servant he has not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. So David doesn't get to go to his grave in peace and have his family work it out. He's got to work it out before he goes. Otherwise, it's going to be war. Right? We see this kind of stuff happen historically all the time and so the bible tells us a story what's david gonna do how is david gonna deal with it so it says in uh, um in verse 21 otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that i my son solomon will be counted as offenders will be killed and just then while she was talking the, uh, with the king nathan the prophet comes in so they told the king. So now here's your confirmation by two witnesses. Saying, here is Nathan the prophet. And he came in before the king and bowed before the king. And Nathan said, my lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he will sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance. And has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priests. And look. They are eating and drinking before him, and they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he hasn't invited me, your servant, nor Zadok, the priest, nor Benai, the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? And David answered and said, Call Bathsheba here. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king, and the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, assuredly, Solomon your son shall be king after me, and sit on my throne in my place. So I certainly will do this day. David, still on his deathbed, facing yet another battle. Now we talked about this. Our desire as people is to have peace. But we as people only grow in the furnace of affliction. It's in the conflict that we arise, that we are purified by the refiner's fire. So David has another conflict. And how does he deal with that conflict? I love what he says. As the Lord God lives, who has redeemed my life. God has redeemed me from every distress. He doesn't say God has taken me out of every stress. Anybody have a stressful life? He doesn't say I'm going to pull you from every stress so that you don't have to go through anything. He says I will redeem you out of your distress. I will redeem. Redeem means to purchase back, to buy back something which is lost. So when we go through hard times, difficulties, stress, the Lord redeems it. He buys it back. He purchases it back. He, he makes something good of it. Isn't that what the Bible says in Romans 8, 28? For we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. He redeems out of every distress. 
every problem, every failure, every issue, he redeems. And so David says, hey, trust the Lord. I'll make everything work out. I'll make it work out. So that's what he's going to do. It says, then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, let my Lord King David live forever. And David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benai the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. So David has a plan. He brings all of his leadership. These three guys are going to become the, the main leadership under the reign of Solomon. Zadok will be the high priest. Benai is going to be the commander of the army. And Nathan is going to be his prophet. And so these are the guys who are going to be with Solomon. At this time, Solomon is probably somewhere between 12 and 16. How would you like to be coming into uh, ownership of a nation about that time? In these circumstances. Wow, I didn't ask for this. Where do I get off this bus? Where Where do I make a different choice, get in a different line? But he's ready and willing to take the responsibility we're going to see as we continue so the king said to them take with you the servants of your lord and have solomon my son ride on my own mule and take him down to gihon the king riding on a mule was always a sign of peace and not just any mule what mules he riding david's it's a statement that's saying what belongs to david now belongs to Solomon. And while all these other guys are having this party, and Adonijah's exalting himself, and they've only invited a select few people, and they're partying over here, and they're talking about their scheme, while they're doing that, Solomon's going to ride a mule, be anointed by the priests as king. He's going to pass before the people. The people are going to begin to shout and proclaim and a party in the entire city of Jerusalem is going to erupt as all the people are excited about, we have a new king, we have a new king. And that's when Adonijah is going to figure out what's going on. That's what David's doing. He sets up Solomon to go on his mule and head forth. And then he says, therefore... Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over all of Israel. Now what does that mean? To be anointed king over Israel. The, the oil, the Bible tells us, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The concept, the word, the anointed one, in the Greek, you say this word all the time. The Greek word for the anointed one is Christ. You've heard that before, right? Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Christ isn't his last name. Christ means he's the chosen one, anointed. He's the one that's been picked, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. Same thing happens with the king. They pour the oil. They don't just do like we do with a couple of dabs on your forehead. They dump the whole horn of oil on your head. It runs over your face, down off of your beard, all over your body. And oil goes everywhere because that's the symbolism that the Holy Spirit empowers you completely and totally for the work that you're going to do. So that's what happens. We have the high priest and Nathan the prophet anointing Solomon right now and making him king. And then you will come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne and he shall be king in my place for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel. So Benai, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen, which means so be it. Let it be. May the Lord God of my Lord the King say so. And so it's going to happen. As the Lord has been with my Lord the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord David. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, Benai the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the Pelethites, that's special forces. Don't fade on me now. The Cherethites and the Perethites, that's the, that's the mighty men of David. That's the bad of the bad. They went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. Picture what has just happened. Adonijah thinks he's got a scheme to become king. So he's got a private party going on in the park. While he's got his private party going on in the park, 
Solomon comes in behind him, gets anointed with oil, sits on the throne of David, and all the people in the city begin to shout, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with the sound. So this is no small thing. It's not a whoopee. No, I mean, there's a, a, a commotion going on. There's a commotion. The people are excited. There's a new king. Now, verse 41 says, Now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. So they're sitting there eating, thinking that they've got a scheme. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is the city in such noisy uproar? He's starting to think something's up. They're not stupid, okay? They know what the horn means. When The Bible says... When a man plays the trumpet, how will the soldiers know how to respond unless a distinct sound is made? When Paul is teaching about how we ought to conduct ourselves in the church gathered, and he's talking about different gifts of the Spirit, gifts of tongues and gifts of prophecy, he says that when we're gathered together, it's important that there's a distinct sound, otherwise the people don't know what to do. That there's not just chaos, but that there is a purpose. So every time they blew the trumpet, they blow the trumpet and the people would gather. You guys know about this, right? If you served in the military, there are several sounds of the bugle that you will know. You will know Reveille, because they play it every morning. Not going to be a question, what's that sound? What am I supposed to do when I hear that? If, if you have that problem, you will only have it one time. Because shortly after you're thinking, I wish they'd turn that down so I could get some sleep. A little short, mean guy is going to come next to you with a trash can and beat you with it. Yeah, they do that. He will make more racket than you can imagine. You will get up. Because the next thing after the beating of the trash can is your bed flipping upside down. They will also play uh, taps. What's taps about? Hey, if you're in the military and you hear taps, you're snapping to attention. There are several sounds. There's the sound of charge. Everybody knows what the sound of charge is. I know because at a football game, if somebody plays charge, after they're done, what does everybody say? Charge. Oh, so you understood what it meant. So there's a distinction. So when they play the horn, it's not just a guy on a kazoo blowing it and everybody going, what was that? No, Joab's going, uh, that sounded like the sound of the trumpet when there's a new king. Which means this is about to become a very bad day. So Joab says, what's going on? What's that noise? What's happening? Well, we'll pick it up with him. So Joab's wondering, what's the uproar? And while he is still speaking, so he's saying, something's up guys, something's going on. There came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. Now you remember Jonathan. He was one of the runners who ran from Abiathar when Absalom was rebelling against David, who ran from Abiathar and told David what Absalom was up to. These guys used to be all on the same team, but bitterness has divided them, and now they're on a different team. So Jonathan now, at one time, who had told David what was going on, is now telling his father it's a bad day. David has anointed a king. Jonathan, the son of Abiathar the priest, and Adonijah, he comes down and says, Come in, for you are a prominent man, and you bring good news. So Adonijah sees Jonathan, and he's already talking all kingly. And Jonathan said to Adonijah, Nope, (laughs) I don't bring good news. No. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benai the son of Jehoiada, the Chelethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, 
and may he make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. Also the king said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day, while my eyes will see it. So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and got up and left. Now all of a sudden you went from hero to zero. You have all these guys falling in. They have all scattered. They all scattered. Why? Because when a king comes on, what's he do to his rivals? They got to go. They got to go. The Bible says rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. It's to be dealt with. You don't just smirk at it and leave it exist in the corner. It's got to be wiped out. So everybody bails. Now Adonijah has one place to run. He's going to go there. He's going to go there. He's going to run to the one place he can run. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. The horns of the altar. Remember the altar is built like a giant pit barbecue. Okay, big square, great over the top, and just like a giant pit barbecue when they were offering, that they were cooking, they were making meat. It was like a big barbecue. Part of the meat went to God, part of the meat went to the priest, part of the meat went to those who were offering it, depending on what the sacrifice was. When they brought the sacrifice, the animal, to be butchered there at the altar, when they brought him up, they would tie the animal to the horns of the altar. So they run up to the horns of the altar and they grab a hold of the altar. What does the altar speak of? The place of sacrifice, where there's been sacrifice made for the sin of the people. So it's a place you run to seeking mercy. You grab a hold of the horns of the altar and you plead for mercy. And that's exactly what Adonijah does. What I love about the pages of scripture is that when people ask for mercy, God is always when possible, able to give it. Adonijah is going to receive mercy. He's not done cooking his goose yet, but he's going to receive mercy. He goes and he lays hold of the horns on the altar. And it was told Solomon saying, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon. For look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar saying, let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Look what Solomon says. And Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair will fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he will die. Solomon tells the truth. If you do well, if you choose right, it's exactly what God said to the entire nation when he laid out before him two paths. And he said, This path leads to death. If you choose this path, you die. If you choose this path, you live. Then what did the Lord say? Choose life. That's what he said, right? Choose life. Well, Solomon's saying the same thing to his brother Adonijah. You, you are rebelling against me, and I know what you're doing, and you know what you're doing. So if you continue to walk down a wicked path, you will die. If you change... You will live. Two paths before you, Adonijah. Choose. What is it that Joshua said? As for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. It's making a decision. It's making a decision. It's about saying, God, what you say is right. But some people can't say that. The word repent means a change of mind and a change of direction. Both of those things have to be present for it to be repentance. Is it possible to change my mind and then not to ever change my direction? Sure. Is it possible to change my direction and never change my mind? Hey, you can make me wear a suit every day. Inside, I'm rebelling and I got all kind of things to say about it. Outside, you can make me do whatever, but inside, I'm still in flip-flops or tennis shoes. I'm still wearing jeans. But if I change my mind and my action, now I have repented. I changed my mind, changed my direction. Adonijah has the opportunity. Agreed? He's got the opportunity. Adonijah, 
do well. So King Solomon uh, sent them to bring him down from the altar. He came and fell down before the king. And Solomon said, go to your room. That's basically what he says. Go to your room. Keep in mind, this is a child king. But nonetheless, taking on the responsibilities that has been thrusted upon him. So in chapter 2, he goes on. We'll see how far we get in chapter 2. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. So now David's fading. Solomon's been chosen king. David's fading. Listen, this is why this is important. David's going to give the last words he has to his son. Now think about how did David grow up? He grew up as a shepherd boy, right? Did he grow up in a palace? No, he's kind of a tough kid, wouldn't you think? He's out there fighting off uh, bears and lions, taking care of the sheep, right? He's a tough kid. And then he, the next thing we see is his battle with Goliath, right? And then he becomes armor bearer for Saul. And then the people start to sing songs about David and his prowess in battle. They start to say David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands. David his tens of thousands, right? So, so David is like, he went to the school of hard knocks. Can we agree on that? David went to the school of hard knocks. Then Saul starts chasing him and he spends the next 10 years hiding in caves, Hey, he had it rough. Now, where'd Solomon grow up? Palace. Oh. But you think he ever had to worry about where his food was coming from? Or, or bad, big bad guys coming after him? So I'd say Solomon lived his life, and he's young. Keep in mind how young he is. He's young, and he's lived his life with a silver spoon in his mouth. Everything's been given to him. And David knows on the horizon there's some pretty serious battles. So David has the final words he's going to share with them. And in those final words, is noted, this is the words of a man after God's own heart to whoever will listen. To, who, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. All Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable to you and I. These are the final words of David. This is what he says to his son. Let's hear what he has to say. He says, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong and prove yourself a man. We want to put that in the simplest terms today. We did a, a men's retreat on it. It would be man up. Hey, Solomon, you, I mean... This is thrust upon you. You're, you're just a child. I would much rather have you be in your 20s when this happens. But nonetheless, here you are. Man up. Man up. Don't whine. Don't cry. Don't look for somebody else to have an answer. You. Man up. Be strong. Prove yourself a man. And what's he say? How do you do that? Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Who made Solomon king? David? The schemes of his mother Bathsheba? Who made him king? God. So David says to his son, keep the charge of God. God made you king. You be king. Whatever God, God's commandments are his enablements. If God says for you to do something, he will give you what you need to do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if God says, do not lie, does he give you the power then to not tell a lie? Absolutely. If God says, do not commit adultery, has he given you the power not to commit adultery? Absolutely. If God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, has he given you the power to do it? God's commandments are his enablements. We have the power if we will choose to walk in that power to receive that God's given us I can get up today and I can go home and my house has electricity in it do you guys know that and when I walk into my house I will not be able to see a blasted thing I won't be able to see where the steps are I won't be able to see where nothing is and my I can barely see the words on my Bible you turn out a light and it's all over when I get there I can choose to turn the lights on and walk by what I see. Or I can leave the lights out. 
and trip over everything. It's the same way in our relationship with God. God's given us the power to live a victorious Christian life. If we will walk in the light. What's our light? Where's our light switch? You're holding it in your laps. We read it, hopefully, every day. That's a light switch. God, thy word is a lamp before my feet and a light unto my path. It's the word of God. We have it. Keep the charge of God. It's the same thing that David is saying. Listen, to walk in his ways and keep his statutes. Listen, God is not asking you to perfect, to have perfect performance. It's not what God's asking. He's asking you to keep his statutes. Well, look at it like this. When I was a kid and I I was uh, getting to the point where I could drive... My father had me buy my first car. My, my first car was a 1970 Maverick. Three on a tree. It had desert mags. If, if you don't know what that is, it means there's no chrome. And it, was, it looked like an off-road car. And I was a knucklehead driver, so it was perfect. It was totally smashed. Yeah, I paid 400 bucks. The front end was in the front seat. And in order to drive, I had to take that car, fix it, put it together, and then I could drive. And the reason my dad had me do that was so that I would value the vehicle. And think about what I was doing when I was trying to play Dukes of Hazard and jump it into the... Which I did. But at least I knew what I was going to have to fix when I did it. So all those things, I had value to what I possessed. When God's word says, keep my statutes. When John, in his epistle says, if you love God, you will keep his commandments. And his commandments will not be burdensome. It means that you treasure it. That you treasure it. That what God has to say has value to you. That's what it means to keep. I want you to think of keep in that way. Because when you think of keep in that way, then what I'm doing is a response out of love. The way I walk, because I love what God has to say, I I naturally am going to do the things God's word is telling me to do. Because I love him. If you keep God's commandments because you want something from him, that's manipulation and it's not love. Right? If I do something so God will do something back to me, that's manipulation. Love treasures, values. Do you value his commandments? Do you value his word? This is what David is telling his son Solomon. Value his word, which in fact, as we read the scriptures, is there anything in here that Solomon put together? I don't know. You might want to look at the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the song of who? Oh, yeah. So there's a few. There's a few things that Solomon penned, right? That find their way on the pages of Scripture. David says, keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. Treasure the word of God. Treasure it. That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Treasure the word of God. Your relationship with him. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me saying, If your sons take heed to their way and walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you will not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So David says, hey, if you walk, God will establish you. And he did. He established Solomon all the way through his kingdom. Even when Solomon didn't deserve to be established anymore, God kept his promise that he gave to David. Moreover, you know also what Joab the son of Zariah did. Okay, problem number one, Solomon, you got Joab. What does Joab do if things don't go his way? He kills 
the person who's in his way. If Solomon is in his way, what will Joab do? He'll kill him. Has he done it before? Yep, killed Abner. And he killed Amasa. And he didn't kill him nice. He killed him mean. This is not a nice guy. So he says, there's a problem with Joab. You know what he did to me? What did Joab do to David? David said, Absalom is in rebellion. Don't kill him. Capture him. His heart is turned from God. Don't kill my son, Absalom. I'm reminded of a bunch of missionaries in the 50s who had guns with them when they went to... uh, 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 a place in, uh, I think it was just outside of where? I want to say Peru, but it's not Peru. It's not Brazil. Where is it? Well, it doesn't matter. The natives came after him. You guys know the story. The, the, the Through the Gates of Splendor. The uh, story of Jim Elliott and, and those guys. When the natives came at him, you know that not one of those, they all had guns. They could have killed them all. Could have killed every one of them. But if they killed them, where do they go? So, what did they do? They died. That's pretty intense. They had kids. They had wives. They wanted to live their life too. David, when he told his, his armies, and the men in his army understood it, because when Joab told one of the guys in the army, go kill Absalom, why didn't you kill him? The guy said, what are you talking about? David said, don't kill Absalom. He's hanging in a tree by his hair. We got him. What did Joab do? He killed him. So what did that mean that Absalom could never do? He could never repent. So he, David, never says, I'm going to go to him and he'll come to me. Absalom lost. Joab took his son when David said, don't. So when David says, you know what, what Joab did to me? He killed my son. Now, maybe Absalom never repents. But one thing's for sure, once you put a spear in him and make him a giant pincushion, he's not going to repent, right? That's what Joab did. Joab always did what he wanted to do. What he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed, listen to this, he shed the blood of war in peacetime. David made peace, and he killed him anyway. And he put the blood of war on his belt and around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. He's a man of blood. Look what it says. Therefore do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. What's David saying? Joab's going to turn against you. He burned me. He burned Abner. He burned Amasa. You do according to your wisdom. Don't let his gray hair go. Don't just ignore him. Don't just think he's going to go quietly into that good night. Deal with Joab. Deal with Joab. Then, but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. So he says, remember Barzillai, the guys who were with me. These are good guys. So it's not just saying Joab's... He's saying, Joab's a problem, deal with them. But these guys, they're, they're on your side. Take care of them. And then he says, and, and see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera. Remember Shimei? He's the guy who cursed David. And, and uh, Abishai said, uh, let me kill him. And David said, no. God let him curse me, let him curse. Now he says, he's a Benjamite from Bahurim. Uh, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Machanem. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, saying, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless. You are a wise man, and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Now David is not saying, hey, I let him off the hook, but it's time to go punch him in the mouth, because he's... A loser, and I really should have chopped his head off way back then. What David is saying is, what Shimei said to me 
is what's in his heart. And if he would curse me, the king, like that, he will turn on you. So just like Joab, don't ignore Shimei. The first opportunity, he will turn. And what I love about what Solomon's going to do, and we'll, we'll look at what Solomon does next time we get together, but what I love about what Solomon does is he doesn't just run out and kill these guys. He lets them burn themselves. Just like Adonijah, he's going to set before him two paths. Live. Die. You choose. And they're going to choose. With the exception of Joab. This Joab has got to go. Joab is one bad man. And he's got to go. So we'll see uh, the fall of Joab next time. And we'll see what it is that it happens. But in verse 10 it says, So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. David went the way of all his fathers. David died and was brought to, Scripture tells us, Abraham's bosom until the time of Christ died on the cross. There in paradise for the righteous dead. Finished his race. Ran with endurance. Learned the lesson of not having battles all the time. And as we look at the passing of a man after God's own heart. Just as Solomon's going to give choices to these guys, Solomon has a choice too, doesn't he? Two paths you can walk, Solomon. Hopefully all of our desire is to start well and finish well, right? Solomon's going to start great. You don't finish so good. David, he he started pretty well and he finishes well. Solomon made his choice already. Joab made his. Adonijah made his. You have to make yours. How are you going to finish? How are you going to run your race? Are you going to follow... In the teachings that God gives? Or are you going to take that other path? Nobody else is going to choose for you. You get the right. But understand what road you're on. If the road you're on does not take you where you want to go, what do you need to do? Change the road you're on. Repent, change your mind, change your direction, and run with all your worth to God. Finish well. Finish well. Learn the lesson. Mankind has said that what we learn from history is that man doesn't learn from history. Keep repeating the same dumb mistakes right choose this day who you will serve amen why don't you stand with me let's pray father god we thank you for this time when we come before you we thank you for the teaching of your word we thank you for uh, what the scripture lays out for us and i pray lord that even as we look at these circumstances we wouldn't just see lame stories that are boring and we don't care about that we recognize man these are men real men real women who had choices to make a path to choose will i walk with the lord or will i exalt myself will i accept the humility that god requires of me or rather, will I exalt myself? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. <laughs> and I deserve anything you give me, Lord, and worse. But I need my motivation, God. I need my motivation to be a love for you. And I choose who I love. I do. 
I'm not out of control. I choose. Love is a choice. I choose my Lord and God and King to love you with all my heart. I choose to treasure your word and to say, I will walk according to your statutes because they matter to me. I choose to have my life covered in the fingerprints of God. I choose life. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that you are calling each and every one of us to decide under whose name, under whose banner will we walk? Will it be under the name of Jesus or under the name of self? going to walk under one of them which will it be I pray Lord that we would choose to bow our knee now to the name above all names Jesus rule and reign in this place as we seek to honor you in Jesus name we pray Amen